The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I haven't been here for several years, so I'm fired up to be able to come back. When I was asked to come speak tonight, uh, I didn't hesitate at all. I was excited to do it. Uh, this being a state university, don't get a chance to always talk about Jesus Christ whenever I want to, the way I want to. So when I get a chance to do it, I will. I don't want to turn that down. So. Again, I am thankful for those that uh, were able to get me here, and uh, glad that you came out um, here. So, help me with this. Just help me finish this scripture. For we know that all things. For we know that all things work together for the good. How many have heard that before? Okay. I had a teammate quote that to me one time. This was 30 minutes after he had gotten cut from the basketball team. Now the guy also was snorting cocaine. And he was a little bit high, and he said, "Hey, man, all things work together for the good, right?" I said, "Yeah, I guess, huh?" He didn't finish the scripture. Yes, the Bible says in Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for the good to those who love God. Who are the called according to His purpose? People leave that part out so much. Loving God, all things work together. All, no matter how you slice it, means all. So if you get a promotion, all things work together for the good. If you lose your job, all things work—not just the good, but the bad. Somewhere in the middle, all things the Bible say says works together for the good for those who love God to the call according to His purposes. I have been able to see that in my own life, although it took for took a long time for me to be able to see it. It took a long time for me to be able to even think about it. First of all. Then it took an even longer time for me to start to recognize it. Let me tell you what I'm what I'm talking about. I grew up in a, a place down in Southern California called Compton. Anybody heard of Compton? Yeah. What's so funny about Compton? <laughs> okay. And you got to understand. I was a really thin. I guess most are thin when they're really young, but I was really thin, like skinny, really skinny. But I had big feet, and I had kind of a long head. Still have a long head, and I wasn't very fast. 
wasn't very athletic man, but I love some basketball. About 10 years old is when I started playing basketball. And even though I wasn't the best player, I had this crazy, sick, I mean sick desire to play basketball all the time and to watch basketball all the time and to talk about basketball all the time. Everything revolved around basketball. You would have thought that I was LeBron James or something, but I was not, trust me. I just loved to play. Whenever I had a free moment, I was out shooting hoops. When I was at home and there was a game on television, I'd watch it on television. I couldn't wait for the weekend to go by back then, a television guide, TV guide, to see the sports and specials section for the week to see when there would be a basketball game. College of the Ozarks, UCLA, Checker and Chess State. It didn't matter who was playing on television. I wanted to watch it. And if there were no games, I would go through the radio and turn it down just to find a basketball game. I couldn't get enough of it. Always had a basketball with me. Always talked about basketball. I was obsessed. I'll, I'll admit it. I, was, I had a sick obsession for basketball. No one else that I knew had that at my age. For a long time, I didn't see anyone else. I, I didn't think about it at the time, but I just didn't see anyone else that could match the obsession that I had for this game of basketball. At the time, I just thought it was me. Why did I have that obsession? Why didn't everyone else have the same obsession. Well, I got a little older from the time when I was 10 years old, where now I was 15 years old, and I was a 10th grader. Now you gotta understand, as a 10th grader, I was five feet, six and a half inches tall, still skinny. And as a five, six and a half inch sophomore, I went and tried out for our varsity basketball team. And I was cut in two hours. They released me from the team after one practice, one two hour practice. Okay, maybe I set my goals a little too high. The next day I tried out for probably the more realistic team for my abilities at the time, the junior varsity. I try out for the junior varsity in two hours. After practice started, the coach cut me from the team. Now, as some other players were walking away who had been cut with me, complaining about it wasn't fair, it was favoritism, uh, this guy's mother gave money to the school, that's why they kept him, and on and on and on, the coach said, if anyone feels that they were not given a fair chance, come see me. So I went right over there. I, coach, I, I think I'm better than what you saw. I wish I could get another chance. He says, okay, you show up tomorrow morning. The practice was going to be at 7 uh, on a Saturday, about 10 o'clock. I show up really early. Coach gets there. He has the basketballs in a bag on his shoulder. He says, good morning. He opens the gym. I follow up and go right in there. And After a while, everyone showed up. And 
the coach had everyone line up on the baseline uh, near the basket. And we're all there. And he says, okay, where is the young man that wanted another chance? I mean, just put me on blast in front of everybody. So I said, uh, right here. He says, come out here. So I walk out. And as I'm there, like I'm facing you, I'm facing the entire team. He says, Londell. He calls out, Londell. Londell Theus was in the 10th grade also, but he was six foot three inches tall. And Londell eventually played for the Clippers in the NBA. I promise you, Londell never improved from the 10th grade. That same guy that plays for the Clippers was that good in the 10th grade, I promise you. He never grew, he never improved, he was that good. He didn't like the varsity coach or else he would have been on the varsity team. He didn't want to play for the guy. He says, you two play one-on-one, full court, in front of the whole team. Londell beat me five to three. I'll never forget that, five to three. And then the coach instructed everyone to go shoot free throws and he grabbed me and he says, come here. He says, you want to play on this team, but you can't even beat Londell. Hey, coach, no one in the school can beat Londell. You can't beat Londell. That's what I wanted to tell him. He said, you can stay on the team, but you won't play. You'll never play on this team. I said, okay. So I dropped down to the lower, called the B team. That doesn't even sound right, the B team. But I wanted to play, and I played. Even though I was cut twice in two days, I was not discouraged one bit. I just kept practicing, kept playing basketball. My family moved to another part of Compton, and we had to transfer high schools. And when we transferred as a junior in high school, I grew to where I was 5'11". I had a huge growth spurt. I was 5'11 as a junior. And I had improved enough to where I could make the varsity team. As a senior, I was six foot one inches tall and continued to make the varsity, play on the varsity. However, there was not one school in terms of college that was interested in me. I didn't receive any letters. There was zero interest. So I went myself to the local community college, Compton Community College, And the coach then told me that uh, he already had his team for the following year. He didn't know that I knew in junior college, you don't know who's on your team until the first practice the next year. But it was a nice way of him just telling me, beat it, basically. So I eventually found a place that gave me an opportunity. That was at Cerritos Junior College. I was six foot two inches tall now, still obsessed with this game. It was all about this hoops game. But I wasn't experiencing a whole lot of success with it. My freshman year, I came off the bench. I did make that team, but didn't do a whole lot. But then in my sophomore year, going into my sophomore year, I practiced so much, it finally started to pay off. I came back my sophomore year, I was the most valuable player of our team, and then I was given an athletic scholarship to come here to play at the University of Washington. Still obsessed 
So you got to understand something about my obsession. Nothing got in my way. Nothing got in the way of basketball. My first date was the high school prom. All right. Maybe that's not crazy to you, but I didn't even really go to girls' house, to their house, because I like girls now, okay? Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But when it came to hoops, I couldn't find the time. It was them or the hoops. (laughs) I'm shooting hoops. (laughs) Now you can come to the gym. (laughs) But it takes a half hour to wait on the bus. It takes a half hour to get to your house. I'm over there for whatever time. It didn't take a half hour to get back. That's about three hours I could have been hooping. Plus, baby, I see you at school every day. I don't have time for that. As it was mentioned, I'm married with three daughters, so everything was good. But I just didn't have that kind of time. It was all about the hoops. It was all about basketball. I play here at the University of Washington, and I have a mediocre career. In fact, my senior year, I averaged nine points a game. It was a man named Pete Newell who saw me play here at the University of Washington and recommended that the Golden State Warriors draft me. Back then, the draft was different than it is now. Can someone in here tell me how many rounds there are in the NBA draft? Two. Two. Are you absolutely sure? Good. Way to stick by your convictions. Because there are two rounds in the NBA. There are 30 teams in the NBA. Each team gets to take uh, a pick of who they want, and then it starts over. Two rounds. Now, I mean, back when I came out, there were 10 rounds. Thank goodness. Because I was drafted in the seventh round by the Golden State Warriors. 141st player chosen. Now, just to see that I was drafted, five, six and a half, couldn't make the junior varsity team. I mean, that was everything. For me, with the obsession I had with basketball, it didn't matter to me that somebody drafted a swimmer ahead of me. It didn't matter to me. I didn't care. I was a draftee. The first day that I go to NBA camp, I get there. I'm obsessed with this game now. I had the basketball card of everybody that was on that team. I had their basketball card. And there they were. But now there were other players trying out for the team. And I remember these guys kind of over here laughing and joking, getting loose in the corner anywhere from 6'5 to 6'8. And my thought was, seeing that, wow, this is the NBA. Look at these forwards. You know, the forwards I played with was 6'5, was, 6'6. Uh, I'm thinking, these guys are up to 6'8. Look how muscular they are. When they walk, their hamstring would just, poof, poof, just popping. They had these, they would, even there, even when they were laughing, they had these deep voices. <laughs> you know, just men, you know? That's what I'm talking about. See, this is what the NBA is about. I can play with these kind of forwards, throw them alley oops, they're gonna dunk it. Guy beats me to the basket, they're gonna block it. These athletic forwards are big time. 
Coach blew the whistle and said, all right, I want the guards here, forwards there, centers over there. So I run as fast as I can to the guard line. I'm ready to go. And those forwards ran over to the guard line too. Whoa, where, where are you guys going? Yo, we're guards, man. You guys are guards? They were faster, taller, quicker, stronger than I was. There were 21 players trying out for a team that could only keep 11. Three weeks later, there were 13 left. And I was one of the 13. Barely hanging on. Five, six and a half, couldn't make the team. And now I'm two players away from making an NBA team. You don't think I was fired up? I'll never forget the last practice before he made the cut. He called everyone in, the coach being he. He said, we are going to have to cut two players after this practice. And I feel like every one of the players looked at me like, you know it's you, right? <laughs> I just kind of felt like they were all looking at me thinking that. We practiced, practice was over, he called us in, we busted our tail in that practice. Nobody wanted to get cut. He said, if I call your name, he says, if I don't call your name, we'll see you tomorrow at practice. If I do call your name, doesn't mean you got cut, but we need to talk. Put it in, one, two, three, Warriors. Golden State Warriors, Warriors. So everybody started to walk off. And I just stood there because I just knew at any point someone was going to say, we need to talk. So I'm standing. No one said anything. So I took a casual step toward the locker room. And no one said anything. So I ran as fast as I could. <laughs> Out. Out of the gym. <laughs> On my way to the locker room in the tunnel at the Oakland Coliseum back then was another rookie named Billy Mayfield. He had the same idea I had. He was running out of there too. <laughs> and when we were running out, this voice came out of nowhere and said, Billy! And both of us went like this. And then I realized he said, Billy, not Lorenzo. So I kept walking, but tried to listen. I am not exaggerating to you. It was the assistant coach. He says, Billy, coach wants to see you in his office. I don't know what he wants, but it was nice working with you. Oh, they got him. So I left. The coach finally contacted me, scared me to death. He told me that he had to cut a couple of players, but I wasn't one of them. He would see me at practice. And at that point, you just, I can't describe how excited I was that I had made an NBA roster. One of our first games, though, was against the Los Angeles Lakers. You know who you root for when you're in Compton? The Lakers. That was my squad growing up, the Lakers. They had just won an NBA championship, all right? 
1980, Magic Johnson was a rookie, and he was the most valuable player. He scored like 46 points in a game. And here we are playing the Lakers. So I get to the game like three hours before I was supposed to be there because I'm so excited. I put my uniform on. I'm looking at myself in the mirror, like doing fakes on myself in the mirror, and just, just I'm just fired up. I go out on the floor finally for the game, and it's a sellout. The place is packed. And I'm looking at them down. Oh, wow, look at this. It's unbelievable. Five, six and a half. We bring it in. Time for the starters to go out. Time for tip-off. One, two, three, Warriors. The starters walk out there, and I follow them out there a little bit. Let's go, man. These guys can't play. They were the world champs now, okay? All right. I go back and sit down at the end of the bench, not because I was rebellious or upset, but I had never been to a, an NBA game sitting this close for free, okay? So I didn't want anybody to bother me. Leave me alone, fellas. I'm about to watch the Lakers. Uh, so I'm right there. I'm looking at the action going on. Six minutes, tick off the clock. It's the first quarter. Six minutes left in the first quarter. And the coach leans over and yells at the end of the bench, Lorenzo. And I look back and I say, what? <laughs> he said, let's go. Let's get you in the game right now. I was the first sub off the bench. What? Right, right now? Yes, right now. Let's go. I get in the game. I just remember like tucking my shirt in. It was already tucked in, but I didn't know what else to do. I had to look like I was doing something, trying to look calm. My boys from Compton were watching on television. And I'm in the game for about a minute. And I had the basketball, and I passed to one of my teammates. And when I passed and went to run the opposite direction, I noticed, I don't know why I didn't notice the first minute, but the guy defending me was Magic Johnson. Number 32, Los Angeles Lakers. His chest was about right here. I see it. As calm as I was, as much as I had been through growing up in Compton, We'll show you how I reacted to seeing magic right there. Magic. <laughs> I wanted to look at my teammates. Man, that's magic, man. <laughs> hey, man, this dude is awesome. Hey, his face was right here. I could have plucked one of the hairs off of his goatee. He was right there. There was no TV screen there. Now, I'm going to tell you, I didn't exactly say magic out loud, but I thought it. That's really what I thought. Like, whoa. Then I came to my senses. They had a guy named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was seven foot, two inches tall. And when he caught the ball, he would hold it up in the air like this. So they had a play where the guy I was guarding would throw the ball to Kareem at the free throw line, and then he would cut off of Kareem. Looking for a layup. If he didn't get it, he'd come back out. Kareem would hand it to him and kind of scream for a jumper. We knew the play. It was fist. Whenever they say fist, that was the play. 
So the guy I was guarding says, fist. I said, okay, here it comes. So he passes to Kareem. And the ball hits Kareem, and I start backpedaling because the guy I'm guarding is cutting off of him. And sure enough, Kareem had that ball way up here. And I said to myself as I passed it, if you time it, you can get that ball. So I backpedal, got my steps together and gathered and jumped as high as I could and missed it by about this much. Here. And, and the sad part about it is Kareem, he didn't even know I jumped. He was just holding the ball, looking around. And my boys from Compton, they dogged me on that one. Man, what were you thinking? You look stupid, you know. But I was playing in the NBA. That obsession paid off. I played three years. I played three years. And after the third year, my wife and I were married. And one of our wedding gifts was a Bible. I had never really read the Bible. But this Bible was huge. It's a big black Bible with gold glitter letters. Holy Bible. I mean, we just brought it home. I mean, you could sit it in the corner like, you could sit on it like it was furniture. It was a huge Bible. One day, as about this time, you got to understand, I was searching. From an early age, I believed that there was a God. I believed that there was a heaven. I believed that there was a hell. And I didn't quite know how to get to heaven. I was just taught that if you do your best, maybe you get there. And I started to go to church every Sunday. And there was a time I would just go on Christmas and Easter. But now I was going every Sunday. I'd even put a dollar when they passed the plate every Sunday. I was searching. One day I was just sitting around and thought that I would read the Bible for myself to see what the Bible had to say. Because I did believe the Bible was God's word. And I remember picking the Bible up and flipping through the pages. <laughs> Three hours later, I was still flipping. This was awesome. The stories that I had heard about Moses and, and the Red Sea, God parted the Red Sea with Moses and all the different Bible stories I'd heard about, I was actually reading them saying, this stuff is real. I remember looking for the story of the Trojan horse and all that in there too, but I couldn't find that. <laughs> really, seriously, I couldn't find it. All these other stories are in here, why isn't this? But as I was reading, I came to something that really caught my attention. You see, I was trying to be good enough to get to heaven. You know, well, I think I'm as good as the next person. I'll have a chance. But what I read in the Bible is that no matter how good I tried to be, I would never be good enough to reach the standard that God had for me. God wanted me to be sinless. He wanted me to be perfect. 
in order for me to go straight to heaven and have a relationship, I had to be perfect. I said, that's impossible. I can't do that. Who can do that? That disappointed me because how do you have a relationship with God? But I kept reading in the Bible and I kept reading and I began to understand that God knew I would never reach that standard nor would anyone else. So he created a way for me to have a relationship for him. He himself came down in the person of Jesus Christ and died on the cross for my sins. I was supposed to be punished for my sins. And sin is simply doing what I want to do and not what God wants me to do. I don't have to be a murderer to be a sinner. Just do what I want to do and leave God out. I read that Jesus died so that he would be punished instead of me. And that if I asked him into my life, because he did rise, as we know, celebrating it this week from the dead after three days. If I asked him into my life, then I would be a Christian. Then I could say I love God. Then I could say I was the called according to his purposes. September 10th, 1983, my wife and I both gave our lives to Jesus Christ and we became Christians. And when that happened, I had just been in the league for three years. NBA. Two weeks later, I signed the biggest contract that I ever signed yet in the league. I'm thinking, praise God. Yes, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Two weeks after that, I got cut because the contract wasn't guaranteed. So I got cut by the Golden State Warriors. Two weeks after that, around Thanksgiving, the Detroit, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks picked me up. And I was with the Milwaukee Bucks team for a year. And during that year, as a Christian of only a couple of months, there was a pastor that did Bible study along with a guy from Athletes in Action and did chapel. And he was answering every question that I had for him. Everyone. It was awesome because I had all these questions. I was so excited about being a Christian. And then after a year, Milwaukee cut me. And two days after that happened, the Detroit Pistons picked me up. Two weeks later, they cut me. Now, I could have easily looked up into the heavens at that point and said, Hey, uh, God, before I gave my life to you, I was doing fine. Now I give you my life. I've been cut three times in a year. What kind of program is this? But I had studied the scriptures. And I understood that no matter what happened, all things work together for the good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. And you know what I was able to do? I was able to. I was disappointed, frustrated, but I was able to thank God. In the midst of all that. Not thank God like, God, I got cut again. Yeah, you the man. All right. <laughs> no. I don't know what's going on. My wife is pregnant with our first child. We got all kind of things going on. I don't know what you got, Lord, but... I know you do, and I know you love me, and I know you want the best for me, and you're trying to make me more like your son, Jesus. So thank you for whatever you're doing. Because I was cut, the Athletes in Action ministry contacted me and asked me to join 
their basketball team. It was full-time ministry. The Athletes in Action Basketball allows you to share your faith around the country and parts of the world. I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus Christ. I was so excited. Now I could do it using my obsession? Basketball? Great deal. Great bargain. But while I was with Athletes in Action for those seven years, I was taught how to give a testimony about how I became a Christian, how to share my faith in any situation, how to use any gift that God had given me to use that to share the gospel and to give back. And when I was there seven years, I was contacted by the coach at UCLA. And I was invited to come on as an assistant coach. And I didn't want to leave Athletes in Action. When he asked me, do you want to, if I offer you this job, would you take it? My response was, I just have to cross that bridge when I got there. And my buddy with Athletes in Action, who was a director, asked me when the meeting was over, did you, what happened? I said, well, he might offer me the job. He said, well, you're going to take it? I said, I told him I don't know. He said, are you crazy? I said, man, I don't want to leave the ministry. We have this inner city ministry with the kids. He said, listen, he said, if you take this job, one day you can become a head coach and you can become a head coach at a major university. And when you're at a major university, they interview you. People will know what you stand for. You can influence far more people in that arena than maybe you could with what we're doing. Wow, didn't think of it like that. I accepted the job. Went on to be an assistant at UCLA. And it was amazing the things that I had learned with Athletes in Action, how much I could apply them to minister when I was a coach. Then I became a head coach at Pepperdine University, then St. Louis University, and then all the way back here where I went to school, the University of Washington. I had an obsession to play basketball. I believe it was a supernatural, not a who. I believe it was God driven because his plan for my life was to one day do what I'm doing for his glory. And he gave me that obsession so that I could be successful in this game. I would have a platform in this game so that I could eventually be exactly where I am. God has been training me to be in this position since I was 10 years old. I didn't even know it. It was interesting how my life was going until I became a Christian. Then all of a sudden it was as if the Lord snatched me out of there and started working with me right away to put me to work for him. Some people don't want to give their lives to the Lord or really walk with God because they feel like if they do that, God is going to put them in some crazy situation that is just boring. God wires you to have peace and have the most enjoyment for what he wants you to do, whatever that is. Everyone can't coach, everyone can't play in the NBA, but I guarantee you, each one of you is being trained by God right now to do something very special for him.
But just like a coach would understand, when we have players that don't execute the game plan, you have to take them out of the game. You want those that you know you can count on. And God will use every one of you on his team if you will execute his game plan. John 14, 21 says, whoever has my commands and basically keeps my commandments, he, she is the one who loves me. He who loves me, I will love them too and show myself to them if you keep his commands. All things work together for the good if we love God and we're really trying to live for him. You know what an awesome feeling that is to know that whatever, literally now, whatever happens to you, God has designed it or is allowing it for his glory. And you just get to go for the ride. And you get bonuses along the way. It was his plan for me to eventually do this and coach. But along the way, I got to play in the NBA. Along the way, I was about to I got to meet my wife. We've been married 31 years. We were given three wonderful daughters. Along the way for the ride, God is blessed in so many different ways. I have one regret in my life. Is that when I was in college, same age as you, I was not a Christian. It's my only regret. Because... I believe that God could have used me to influence so many people for his glory. And I didn't because I didn't know God at the time. If I could go back to college again, man, it, it would just be great to be able to be in college living for the Lord and not be embarrassed about it at all. Not apologize for it at all. Not be a closet Christian at all, but be bold and understand that those that aren't, they're missing out. Not me. If the God of the universe is controlling my life and I'm allowing him to do it, I'm not missing out. That's better than any, more powerful than any gang member or boss that you can work for. That's what God has done with me. That's what God has shown me in my life, and I would just challenge you to do whatever you can to fear God in a reverent way and follow the script. Do what God asks you to do, and you will have more peace and enjoyment in your life than you can ever imagine. Thank you very much.